I have a story to tell about my co-host, Muddy Waters Fenn, our family's chocolate lab rescue. Back in July, best we can figure, Muddy got bit by a brown recluse spider. His front left leg swelled up two to three times its normal size. He had a problem keeping down food. We took him in to the Highland Park Animal Hospital. A two-inch by 14-inch section of skin on his left leg just flat out died. It was not a good-looking sight. In addition, he had a fair amount of nerve damage that gave him a challenge when walking. Dr. Gretchen Wright and Dr. Heather Vargo led their team at the Highland Park Animal Hospital in stabilizing Muddy, working on getting the leg to heal, a long process, and got him moving in a positive direction. The first 30 days was very tough. There were two times when we took Muddy in that we didn't think we would uh, be bringing him home. Once he stabilized, then the ongoing bandaging and medication work became the priority. Over time, scar tissue and skin started growing back. Five months later, Muddy has fully recovered. His diet has changed, and small challenges from the nerve damage still surface. But the key thing is my Muddy Buddy is by my side and enjoying a dog's life again. Dr. Wright and the rest of the team at Highland Park Animal Hospital, I cannot thank you enough. Y'all are great. If you were to profile a musical artist that you felt was going to make it, what would be the attributes, skills that person would hold? They need a willingness and drive to understand themselves, the people around them, and situations to be faced. They're probably a sensate. They can feel circumstances deeply. Probably at first, those feelings could center around themselves, but at some point, they need to be able to put themselves in other people's shoes and tell those stories. Historically speaking, a lot of artists step into the dark side. I'm not saying that is a requirement, but it sure seems to be a writ of passage for some artists. The lyrics and music touched by the dark side can be heartrending. The artist has a never-ending drive to convert these messages, feelings, experiences into lyrics, pulses, and music, and obviously performing them as well. When done well, Many of their listeners almost sense that the song was written for them. Their heart takes ownership of the music. The last checkbox for success that Trey Johnson, a founder and producer for State Fair Records, who was interviewed last week uh, on our show, uh, says is a willingness to love the road, the grind. They understand that the never-ending roll of rubber over pavement is their road to success. I contend that our guest today, Josh Fleming, and his band, the Vandaliers, have, have these attributes and drive for success. His country punk band gets it. During the interview, he flashes back to his dad driving him crazy, playing asleep at the wheel in the car when he was a kid. Later, he gets their music, and as fate would have it, he is now open for Ray Benson's Asleep at the Wheel band. <laughs> we dig into his songwriting. He wants every song to be an anthem. His thrill for performing the development of the Vandaliers, his influences, old 97s, T-Rex, Willie Nelson, and more, challenges, one was a crazy virus that caused blindness and knocked him on his can for six months, his funky love for cassettes, and the awesome thing that happens when the band screams into a piano during the recording of the song Rolling On. You'll hear Maureen Womack in the background from time to time during the interview. She's with Rabbit Hat Marketing and helped me make this happen. I appreciate it very much, Maureen. 
Well, let's get this interview underway. Let's go. This is the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Listen up. It's all about the music. Let's check in on the artists, songs, and people behind the scenes. Are you listening? This is great. I'm sitting here with Josh Fleming, founder and uh, lead vocalist for Vandaliers. Uh, their latest album, The Native, is uh, being getting great reviews. I mean, as uh, I mentioned to you earlier before uh, we turned on the microphone, uh, your pub precedes you. I mean, I got verbal rep- recommendations from three people before I started getting all the written recommendations. Um, you received the 2017 Ghostly Award, uh, Best Country Act 2017 for, from the Dallas Observer, uh, Best Group Act, Best Male Vocalist, I mean, the Vandalers have been recognized by the Rolling Stone country section, Texas Monthly, Texas Music Scene. So we were talking about Ray Benson. Yeah. And uh, how he was our first guest on the Dogger and Muddy Music Show. Yeah, he's amazing. Yeah, and then it was I was at the Austin Music Festival, and he did this bit where he just starts going deeper with his voice. And, and at one point, the sound's hitting me in the chest like it's a bass drum. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. So, I, I'm ex- I'm ecstatic to have you here, Josh. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. You got it, bud. Hey, um, whenever people start liking you or they listen to your music, first thing a lot of people do is, and artists hate it, is they try to pick out your jo- your genre. What are you? And part of that may be because then they have a place to put you when you get to the uh, get to good records or any record store. Yeah. But uh, so kind of the lead on you is country, but you're a lot more than country. Kind of take me through your sound, your your music. Um, I grew up playing punk music. That was kind of where I started. Um, I played my first show at a roller rink when I was 14 and got really, I got to kiss a girl that night. And so I was pretty sold on Boom, that, that's that it. being my life, um, <laughs> especially coming from like a, like a chubby nerd at the time. Um, it was really cool. And... I've been that weird guy that just kept playing, even though after all of my friends quit playing music and got real day jobs and all that, all that, um, it's been really great to kind of evolve. Um, I played in a ska band when I was in high school. Um, I did some work with, um, some slight major label type stuff and got into kind of like pop rock, uh, got addicted to drugs and did some really, really stupid things when yeah. I was in a really, really hard rock band called The Fuss. Okay. Uh, got married and got out of it, slowed Good. down, and really dived into um, songwriting and started ignoring the riff and really focusing on the story. Um, and that's kind of where Vandaliers came from. So uh, my first album, Marikinda, was written in a weekend. Um I've always been someone who can write a lot. Um, and I started noticing a lot of the things in that first record were about my experiences with the fuss when we went on tour to New York, that's Runaway Sons. And when I dropped acid in North Carolina and drove to Nashville, that's Springwater Supper Club, which is a small beer bar that we played at to like nobody. Yeah, um, right. You got part of the deal, yeah, right? And part then I got the, to. I remember Stevie Ray Vaughan playing above a salad bar once. Uh, I saw right. Chris Stapleton play to nobody at City Tavern at least three years ago. Yeah, and, you know it's it's and crazy. Now, now look at him, Starplex, right? and Marty Stewart's opening for him. Yeah. Um, 
you know, the, the cool thing about music is, uh, especially when you're writing, is as long as you're staying true to yourself, you're making the music you should be making. Yeah. Um, and everybody else will, you know, put a tag on it later. Um, you know, luckily, uh, the Texas music and Americana um, community kind of latched on to what we were doing. Um, and I was thankful for that. Um, but I, you know, it also doesn't hinder me in any way. Americana is a, quite a broad spectrum of music. It can go all the way right. from R and B with Leon Bridges all the way up to, uh, you know, hard rocking things like, like band of heathens is not a country band, but they play the same circuit. Correct. You know what I mean? So it, it's, it's, it gave me the ability to just relax and I, was fortunate enough to get with the musicians in the band. Like I met Corey through, you know, whiskey folk ramblers. Same with Mark Moncrief who plays bass. Guyton Sanders is from like a mod rock kind of style. Like he was in uh, an older band called McKenna that did a lot of touring with like, um, blonde redhead. And, uh, he has a really cool Keith moon vibe on drums. He's a really, really <laughs> great drummer. Um, and then, you know, there's Dustin Fleming and him and I met when I was playing in my punk band, the fuss, and he had a band called the trip called trebuchet. And we did a split EP, um, together and we really became friends. And I always thought he was so talented because he was seamless in taking, um, advanced jazz, theory and putting it into secular modern day music. And so you'll hear a lot of that in this. And when I was starting the band, I had a lot of trouble finding the right guitar player. I think I went through two guitar players before I found Dustin and Dustin just texted me and he was like, Hey, I really like chicken picking and playing steel if you need anybody. And it was like right after I fired somebody. Yeah. So, uh, it's, it's cause all... they were too rock. They were too country. They were too, no, they were not the right band members. Okay. Um, you know, band is a team. It's a gang. It's a. I don't want it to be a family because families fight and families don't talk to each other, or they get divorced or anything like that. Um, and like my previous band was a family vibe. It was a band of brothers, and that sucked. Oh really? Yeah. No, it's awful because brothers fight all the time. Yeah. There's an underlying love there, but um, you know, when you're a gang or you're a team, you're always behind somebody's back. You're always there. Uh, you know, defending them and you're there uh, out of mutual respect and not out of obligation. And so when I was building this, this band, I really wanted that. And so before I thought about what kind of band I wanted uh, or what sound I wanted, I had songs that I thought were great and I wanted to play them with people I thought were great. And after that, we got Vandaliers. That's great. So your sound... Um, can you expand on that? Because you've got, and maybe this goes back to uh, your dad telling you about Bob Wills when you were growing up, but I mean, there's well, a we lot were, of influences in your sound. Well, when I was a kid, my dad would drive me crazy by playing uh, Asleep at the Wheel live at Billy Bob's uh, on long road trips. And I never really got it until I was older. And one of the best feelings in the world was me calling my dad and telling him that I was opening for Sleep at the Wheel. And we both chuckled because he remembers me like crawling out of my skin as like this mohawk wearing <laughs> kid on a family vacation. Um, but it's been really great. Um, no, I, you know, I'm a Texan. So country music's completely around you 
all the time. Right. Um, so there's no way to get away from it. Um, I had listened to Redheaded Stranger. Uh, I had listened to a lot of Johnny Cash. Like, I always liked Johnny Cash, and I would always fight with my parents about him being rockabilly and not country, um, which is totally false. I was just trying to justify it. Um, uh, but, you know, that was one of the big things I really latched onto because I love the stories, the the murder ballads, the Bingo. cocaine blues and all that stuff. I really, I thought that was punk rock. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it is. Uh, and yeah, to me, to me, part of, part of the subtext to my show is always the story. To me, that's what I love about music. And it tends, now I'm being biased here, being from Texas, but I think a lot of music coming out of Texas has great story. Well, we're one of the very few states who have their own high school class of its own history. You know, like we have Texas history here. Like every True. school gets one. Like there's not Oklahoma history class. Yeah, I missed it in South Dakota. They they didn't have much there. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so we all have uh, a mythology that we're already born into when we become when we, when we're when we are Texans. So we can really latch onto that mythology when we become songwriters. And so that's a really really strong uh, advantage Texas has over other things. Um, and so that you know that 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 carried through. Uh, Maybe my heart rate's a little fast, so I always play a little fast. Um, it's really hard to get me to slow down and write cry in your beer type music. Um, <laughs> I'm mostly into uh, the story and moving things along and having fun while doing it. Um, but I mean, when it comes to our sound, you know, you're going to hear a mixture of mariachi horns and trumpets and fiddles coming together you're going to hear uh, a, a songwriter who doesn't sound like your typical country country star uh and you'll definitely hear some loud drums which are a lot different yeah the um and blistering guitar and blistering guitar i like in in rolling out uh, i love uh, number one the drum beat uh, that your drummer's doing there yes. and people probably don't appreciate that's not easy what he's doing that's it's that consistent like that uh, funky kind of dunk, dunk, i'm not doing the right beat but i mean it yeah the train beats. never backs up it's a, yeah. yeah the train beat it just never backs up and that's not easy to do well i think like one of our you know we're from dallas fort worth and our backyard is kind of the has one of the pioneers of alt country and that's the old 97s and we were you know, that's that to me was kind of a starting point of the thing that I wanted to dive into because being you're going to have all these traditionalists who will shit all over anything that's different. Um, but as a guy who listened to punk music and has a life that was slowing down, I couldn't find a record or I couldn't find very many bands that I thought wrote uh, heartfelt songs at a faster pace. And, okay. uh, you know, you dive into like the cowpunk scene and it gets really, uh, cliche really quick. It's a lot of, a lot of like living fast, dying young, right. uh, some horror movie references and like drinking whiskey with the devil type stuff. And I didn't really want, I mean, I love that stuff to an extent, but I really wanted something a little bit more personal, but still keeping, you know, the pace of what I like, um, which is really fun. And that's kind of where rolling out came in. Rolling out is 
my ode to Willie Nelson's On the Road Again. Yeah. Easily yeah. one of the greatest songs ever written. It defines what it's like being in a band. Um, and we, I had written it during my writing stint for the first record and we, I just had too many songs and for some reason we didn't get to that one. And so when we came in for the second record, I already knew I had that song. Um, Endless Summer was, uh, is exactly the way that I write music. Um, I take, I don't sit down and try to write a country song. If I did, I'd be you know, writing about whiskey and drinking and ball bar rooms. And like, you know, we have the red dress, which is sure that's a, that's a honky tonk song. And I really love honky tonk music. Um, but I just don't need a whole album of it. Um, a lot of the things I was battling with in the native was the fact that I was in new territory where I'm, I wasn't born on a ranch. I wasn't born, (laughs) uh, riding a bull, um, I am not a leather worker. I don't, uh, there's no coal mines in Texas. Um, so I can't really like be the quintessential country dude, you know, like I'm not George Strait. I'm not any of those things. I'm a kid from like outside of Fort Worth. And that's where I started, um, with Blue Bonnet Highway. Um, and I know that it's, it's weird to think about, playing country music without being from the country, but there's a lot of people who love the stories and there's a lot of people who aren't from the country who listen to country music. So I kind of wanted to at least find my little niche in that, in that realm and be able to tell my stories, honestly. No, you've done great. Thank you. Now, now with a native, you kind of, I don't want to call it an opera, but, but you move through, there's a purpose at the beginning and you work through the album to the end. Yeah. There, there's a set flow. Yes. Can you kind of take us through that? Um, Blue Bonnet Highway is the introduction of the character and the character in this album, uh, is me for once. Uh, you know, uh, I was born in Keller, Texas, which is now this big suburb. But when I grew up, it was kind of a small, it was a small town. Um, and my, I think at the root of my writing is that music is my escape from uh, the mundane. And when you're in a small town, you're like constantly trying to escape it. So in Blue Bonnet Highway, I I moved to the city and I start my life and I start moving through it. Uh, In Rolling Out, um, like I said, it's an anthem for, for being in a band and what it's like to truly escape. Like, it's always been my ticket to leave town. It's always been my ticket to travel. It's always been the way that I could do things. Like I'm a workaholic. So me going on vacation is me just being anxious in a different place. Um, (laughs) But when I'm, but when I'm with my band, I'm there for a purpose and then I get to see the world. Um, And so I wanted rolling out to really give that. And when we're feeling that, that kind of escapism, that's when we get into Endless Summer. And Endless Summer is more of a, you know, it's me looking back on the things that I've done, which I've done stupid things. I've done some great things. Uh, and I I don't know if I'm wiser from it yet because I'm 29, so I can't really give that old man advice uh, yet because uh, I'm finally mature enough to realize I don't know a damn thing about anything. And that's yeah. what Endless Summer is about. Um, but it sounds like you've gotten yourself straight at least, though. That's that's key. Yeah. I mean, 
as straight as a musician yeah, is going to get. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, let's, sure. yeah, let's not. Yeah, I ain't Jason Isabel, yeah, you know, not, being yeah, like, yeah, let's oh, not go too far. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I can't yeah. drink whiskey anymore. <laughs> I can't have fun at all. <laughs> that's right. No, like, no, no let's, yeah, you know, break I'm, out. I'm not popping three pills of ecstasy in a weekend. That's right. No, I, I, but yeah, right. Um, I feel like I'm going to break out in hives if we go too too clean here. Yeah. Right. Um, <laughs> but uh, you know, and then after that, I, I kind of. I love writing songs for my wife. Hmm. Um, that's mostly how Vandaliers started was, um, was me writing songs to, uh, kind of ease the pain of my financial embarrassment with my wife. She's the breadwinner. Um, and you know, at least I could write her a song that she could hum along and know that she's loved. And so quick to fire is about, uh, her and I meeting loosely. Um, I put it in like kind of a Mexican cantina, uh, kind of setting, um, but you know, the story is pretty much about, about there, you know, we met, um, at a get together. Um, I wouldn't leave her alone. I <laughs> bought drinks until she wanted to make out with me in the back of a corner. Now we're married. So you know, sounds like a good plan to me. Yeah. So I thought that made a good song. <laughs> um, juke joint lover kind of, for me, I love conceptual albums. Like I love creating characters and then moving them into different situations. So in Quick to Fire, the character meets the lady at the bar, and then Jukebox Lover is about, you know, picking out songs on the jukebox and dancing. Uh, it was a little bit looser, but uh, if you want to talk about a random influence, I'm a huge T-Rex fan. I think that Mark Bolan is one of the weirdest lyricists in the world. I love the way that he takes nouns and turns them into adjectives. Um, yeah. And I just love that. Um, so there, I, I call it spitfire lyricism where you're kind of going out and you're just like, what's the weirdest way I can say this? Um, and it's just really fun to do. And so I, I utilized that, um, technique on juke joint and it kind of, it came out really great and we're a huge, everybody in Texas should be a ZZ top fan. So we added yes. that, that kind of vibe to it, that electric blues. Um, Red Dress is, like I said, it's a honky-tonk song. It's about dancing. Nothing deep. Super fun. Really good time. I love it. For some reason, they're playing it on the radio, which is great. Um, Absolutely. Which is great. I'll take it. Whatever song. I don't care. Um, Rain Dance, uh, I wrote when my wife and I went out to my parents' lake house, and the, the lake was so dry, it went out almost half a mile. And there mm. was this little cove, and it was... My parents called it the Redneck Riviera after that song, but it was really cool and it was really private and it was secluded and it was it was really fun. Um, my wife is also Cher- Cherokee Choctaw uh, descendant, so I like I call her my squaw, and yeah, so, so she's. Um, I wanted to write I wanted to write another song for her. I think when it really. Uh, it, Pantigo is my Bob Wills song. Uh, okay. As, yeah, as, that makes sense. As much as it, it would make him roll in his grave for me to put like a jig to his swing, um, I think it's it's really, really fun uh, hearing the fiddle in that song. And I really, uh, I wrote a story about getting arrested in this like 
really weird suburb of Arlington that's like notorious for having the worst cops. Um, but it was a really good chance for me to kind of pay homage to a lot of the bars that I love going to in Arlington, which are uh, the Sunshine Bar uh, <laughs> and um, Aussie Rabbits. So I got to name drop that. And then I also got to name drop my my bass player friend. And I got to talk about smoking weed and drinking. So I had a blast yeah, writing hey, it. Yeah. And it was really fun. Nothing better. Uh, um, that's that's kind of the lighthearted side of the record. I feel like the native as a song um, was kind of me just telling people like, look, I know I'm different, but I'm from the same place as you. Like we're all from the same place. And it doesn't mean that I'm not allowed to be in a country band. It doesn't like I've been around these songs. I've been singing these songs. I, play guitar and I sing, therefore I am a Texas musician and I play Texas music. And so I really wanted to write a song about that. Um, and, uh, also, you know, there's a lot of take me back to Texas songs and I wanted one too. I threw my name in the hat with that. Um, welcome home is my favorite song on this record. Uh, I love it. It's dynamic. It's really cool. And I really love conversation songs and, it, what inspired me for that song was my buddy Clayton Smith was doing really, really great things. Um, he was traveling around, and uh, and I was stuck at home while I was trying to make the second record. And, and I always loved hearing his stories when he came back home. So I really wanted to give that conversation a song. Um and it just, it's my favorite. I really wanted it to be the first song on the record. And my producer was like, no. So, um, um, but I think all in all, I think the record came out really great. I, I love it. Um, I just got the cassette tapes in yesterday. So we'll be selling cassette tapes soon, which I've. Cassette well, tapes. I was a strong advocate for cassette tapes. Even if no one buys them, I wanted one. Have you, there, there's a place in Deep, I don't even know if it's still open. There's a place in Deep Ellum where an eight. Eight track music. Yeah, yeah. I, that's. <laughs> Do you that's, want eight track? No. <laughs> okay, just checking eight how far you want to go back. You can't fast forward or. But it's true. It's tricky. Yeah. Reel to reel. We could do reel to reel. No, I'm. <laughs> I'll record reel to reel. I don't know. I think there's really. There, I'm not paying for digits. Well, supposedly because I. Weird that you say that, but I, I think I read recently that cassettes are coming back. You know. I'm 29, man. I'm still on the pulse. I know what's up. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I listen to cassettes. Uh, I will not buy digital music. It's so hard for me. Like, I don't. Because it cuts off the top, cuts off the bottom. No, I can get it on Spotify. Same yeah. digits. I'm yeah. not buying a CD. Yeah. It's digits. Yeah. I can get digits for free. But to have something that I can hold and look at and unravel and. All those things, and I will pay for magnetic strips. I will pay for uh, friction on a piece of vinyl. Um, I will not pay for digits. And I know a lot of people who are like that, too. Um, and then there's the other side of me, which is kind of like a weird collector. And I love cassette tapes. And I think they're really quirky, and they're fun. Uh, and I really wanted Native to be on cassette, because we recorded it live on tape um that's why it had to be on vinyl for me um i don't know when you're an artist man i can't believe i just called myself an artist uh yeah when you're an artist and you're at the point where you're creating something and it's becoming a physical thing yes. to create income and 
to sell it. Um, I would highly suggest just thinking about what you would pay for. You know, like I'm a music consumer, but I only consume music. Like if I don't know who you are, I'll go on Spotify. If I like what I heard, I'll go buy the record. If, if I then see your cassette tape and I love the record and I'm still listening to it, I will buy your cassette tape, but I'm not going to go on iTunes and buy it. I'm not going to download it from your band camp. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. I'll go see your show. I'll buy your stuff there. Um, I'll wear your t-shirt, but I like physical things. Like I need a physical thing. And maybe I'm that, maybe that's like the difference of me and a millennial, even though I'm technically a millennial. I'm like, that's a weird thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, if you're making something, make what you would buy. At least if you're going to sell it, if you're just making it for yourself, make something you would want to listen to. But one thing I'm impressed with with Native and, and your music is you've got several anthems. I mean, there's bands that put out multiple albums that I, I would say don't really have an anthem song. But I mean, I put "Rolling Out Endless Summer" as anthem songs. I mean, and, and you may have some others in your head, but I mean, you just I got you, about twenty of them. <laughs> yeah, you 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 step your songs. You step up on stage. The energy's there, and it's like everybody's got to be jumping, you know, and going with you. Yeah, I think well, punk rock gave me that mindset to write anthemic music, hmm. Hmm. Um, which some country music has it. Some of it doesn't. Some of it's really heartfelt and uh, very specific. My my buddy Ty Richards, he's a wonderful artist. If you're into like Beck and Queens of the Stone Age and like weird, fuzzy analog music, li- listen to Ty Richards. He's Amazing, but he has a really great idea of the spectrum of songwriting. It's the Tom to Tom ratio. So if you're painting a very, very specific story and you're giving them a photographic image of it, you're on Tom Petty. If you're being very ethereal and, uh, and broad strokes and very open to interpretation, you're on Tom York. And so I like to kind of... I I tend to be more on the petty side um, of my writing. I'm I'm not from another planet, so I can't really write like Tom York. But I do feel that sometimes it's better to kind of open it up for interpretation sometimes, and that's when you're going to see those anthems pop out. Like, Endless Summer could be about anybody. Um, sure. Because everybody's been young, and everybody go, gets old. And those simple constructs um, really uh, intrigue me. And I, I love writing about that stuff. And so I'm, I'm, when it comes to like punk music, if, if the crowd couldn't yell it in the chorus, uh, it was a bad chorus. Great point. So. I compliment you on your exploration of sounds. I, like Gary Clark Jr. Yes. Some people want to put him in blues. And he says, Prince was a huge influence on me. This was a huge, all this stuff was a huge influence. We're music lovers. Right. Yeah. And, and I compliment you. And I think you got to be true to this all the way through. Is hey, I'm I'm going to explore sounds. And like to me, the the horns and the fiddle on, um, I think it's uh, rolling out, and quick to fire and the, the native. Yeah, that's it, a huge part of our sound. They come together. At one point, it almost sounds like, and, and there's a term for this, and I can't remember. But they create a third instrument. But it's just so so full. Technically, they're playing in thirds. That's the harmonic uh, that right. we're using. Um, and what that does is it gives you the mariachi vibe. And uh, 
I was living next to a mariachi band when I was living in South Dallas, and it was right before I was putting the band together, and I loved it. Um, One of my favorite bands is a mariachi band. I think from me listening to a lot of ska music in high school, I'm comfortable with horns. I love horns. I think they're cool. I think it adds an extra thing, and I'm lucky because my piano player is also my trumpet player. So it doesn't have to be on everything, but... We tried, I, I like utilizing it. Um, and Travis is a classically trained uh, violinist and he spilt beer on his violin and now it's a fiddle. So, uh, <laughs> okay. I'm glad. I, I think I called it a fiddle. I didn't want to offend him. it. Yet. No, it is a fiddle. That's, but that's the difference between a fiddle, a fiddle and a violin is, is there's is, is, beer on a fiddle. Okay. That's I got it. you. Good. I always, uh, but I, I, I'll look that up in the dictionary to confirm he, that. You know, he played with a lot of like bluegrass bands and, um, played with a lot of uh, traditional country honky-tonk type stuff. And he would always, he he always laughed at me because when I asked him to be in the band, I was like, hey, be in my country band. But he's like, I mostly just play violin parts. Like, these are, like, it's not just fiddle. Um, you know, In the Summer is one of those moments. Like, it gets very much, it's, it's a string section that we made with him instead of just a, a, a ragtime fiddle, you know, having a good time. So I don't know. I like blending and blurring the lines between things. Oh, yeah. You do. Uh, and that's, you do a great job at it. Well, there's only 12 notes. So, you know. Curious. We were talking about thirds. It's going technical. I, so you didn't add any reverb to the recording or whatever? He, that sound that you're creating on your record, you can, you can give that same full sound when you're, when you're live? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're... Because you know, it's just fascinating, just one horn, yet it sounds like more than one horn. Oh, we recorded a lot of horns. Okay, okay, all right. Yeah, all right, all right, I mean, right. when you're in the studio, um, the trick of it is to get the foundation done as soon as possible, and at the best possible ways to do it live and that's what keeps up that energy and when you don't have that moment where you see a band live and then you listen to the record and they don't have the same energy type thing um recording live really helps like i mean you're still in a studio and you're not in front of five thousand twenty thousand people but you're still playing with your friends so that energy is there but when we get into the production side of it and i got one trumpet player and i want you know, a couple of harmonies of the, of trumpet. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to go buy two right. more trumpet players. I'm just going to stack those tracks. I mean, the native had over a hundred tracks on it and <laughs> most of it was because we really wanted a big horn section and big string section. And when we put it together in the same harmonics, it came out with this really, really, really great sound. And I love that. Um, at the end of rolling out when, Everybody's going like ba 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 da da, like with their right with their vocals. Yes, we're screaming into a piano and holding a chord of a piano and then miking under that. And so that's well, cool. And we weren't even doing harmonies, but since it went through the piano, it becomes harmonies. Okay. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I have to go to science class to figure that one out. Nah, <laughs> you gotta get stoned. And okay, <laughs> all right. We can have do- too much time in the studio. All right, all right. <laughs> Um, I understand it. First, when you're writing songs, you're very competitive, kind of keep up with the Joneses, but you've moved past that. It's- oh yeah. That's a crippling feeling. Uh, 
especially with Fuss. That's the last record I wanted to make of Keeping Up With The Joneses. It's my third record with them. I did it with a great producer, Jeff Sines. He's at Modern Electric. But I was in a place where I was holding on to dear life to keep a band together. Mm. And it was rattling, it was shaking, and I was seeing other people succeed around me, which I will probably always see for the rest of my life. Um, I don't think you can help that. but yeah. No, but yeah, it gets to your head, and it affects your writing, and that's not the way to write. Um, you know, with Vandaliers, I didn't feel like I had to do that because no one does what I do anyway. So I don't have yeah. a, I don't have a group or a genre or a, 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 there's no competition for me. I, I will play louder and faster than you. I will play songs that are truthful to me and there's no one to compare me to. So I have no competition. So I get to write whatever I want now. Yeah. Um, as long as the story's there and I'm not cliche about it, I like the, t- I, I, if I like the song, it'll work. So, so it's really fun. Uh, yeah, it's, you know, me moving over to like me moving to acoustic guitar, not country music, just me writing on acoustic and focusing on the songs is the main difference between me, this band and any other band. Um, that all, I can sing all of these songs by myself or I can have six people behind me really doesn't matter. The song is there. And that's what I wanted. And when I was working with this cat from Disney when I was a kid, you know, I didn't understand what he was saying when he was telling me, like, ah, just keep writing. But I remember one thing that I did understand. It was, Josh, if, if you can't play the song at a campfire, it's not a real song. Yeah. You know, I was like, didn't get it until I started this band. And now I'm like, oh, I get it. Yeah. You know? Well, Jeff Lyles over at uh, the Kessler Theater. Yes, that's uh, in- great. Interviewed him a couple weeks ago. He was one of the people that said, got to talk to Josh. Awesome. Um, one of the things he said. I'll be playing there on the 17th I, of November. I, I have the poster, the poster. over there. Oh, awesome. and, I, cool. and I have my tickets on the computer. Hey. Um, they're not digits, though. The, uh, pay for those digits. <laughs> that's a physical thing you just paid for. That's <laughs> fine. Um, one of the things he said that I think you just basically confirmed, he said, the test of a true musician is if the power goes out at the Kessler, can the musician or the group step forward with acoustic and still rock? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. But I think that's the power of the song. I mean, one of my favorite things to do, which I might be doing it tomorrow. I don't know. I haven't talked to, I haven't talked to my trumpet player, fiddle player, um, Corey and Travis. Um, but like, I really like doing what I call mariachi set where, Travis and Corey come with me to like, uh, just a solo show of mine and play the, play the parts. And it's just really fun and it's weird. And it's like three guys up there just having a good time singing these silly punk songs on, you know, with a mariachi band. Um, so I really like doing that. Um, man, I truly like just write the song on acoustic and then worry about everything else later or on a piano or whatever, but something that doesn't need an amp and then start there. And then if after that, if you feel inclined to, you know, drop all of your money into a black hole, then start a band. Um, and that's when all those things go, but the song's the foundation. If you don't have that, then I don't really know what to, what to tell you. Yeah. Home's been mentioned a few times during the course of this interview. When do you feel at home? I have three places I feel at home. One is my house. 
uh, obviously. Uh, two is in the van traveling, and three is the stage. Those are the places where I belong. Um, if I'm not doing that, I am out of place. Um, if I don't know. I mean, there's something I'm, I'm realizing is there's, there's always going to be people who don't like you. It doesn't matter. They're not built to like you. You're not built to like them. That's fine. But, you know, it's, it's hard for me to be completely candid with other people. And that's why I play music. Um, I'm not really into, uh, being, I'm not really comfortable saying everything that I feel all the time. Um, mostly because it might be brutally honest and they might not, they might not take it very well, or it could be that I'm not willing to show that side of myself to other people. Um, so I use my music as the conduit of that. Um, so the places that I feel at home are definitely the stage, the road and in my house. And I stay at my house a lot right now because I'm writing for another album and I'm on 22 of 30 songs that I'm supposed to be writing. And it's, wow. it's been a crazy month and a half. <laughs> so, uh-huh. so when do you go into the studio? Uh, I'll be, it's not confirmed yet. So okay. All right. we'll figure that I'll let you know when we won't hold you down on that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll figure that out. With your travels over the last year, the momentum's been building, and you've been, uh, well, you've been opening one for the old 97s for the last few months. Yes. But you've been close to Chris Stapleton, I believe, uh, uh, Mavis Staples, one of my favorites, Lucinda Williams. Yeah. How do you feel in that environment? Uh, Fine. I mean, as long as there's a mutual respect between two humans, it's pretty great. Um you know, the you're going back to some people won't like you. Uh, there are those who think their shit don't stink. And then there are people who realize that what they are is, you know, a wallflower trying to define the human condition. And when you meet those kinds of people, it's really great to hang out with them. Yeah. Um, I did not talk to Lucinda Williams. There was no way I was going to talk to Lucinda Williams. I, she was doing her makeup when I was, you know, backstage. I, you know, a big thing for young musicians to remember, like, there is one thing of hanging out and saying hi and telling somebody how much their music meant to you. And there's another of crossing a line and getting into someone's space. So you're going to have to, like juggle that like it's it's weird um i travis is totally fine going up to mavis staples and going full-blown nerd on her um i just don't have it in me i'd rather mavis staples come up to me one day and be like i really loved your song or having a reason to go up to mavis staples and 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 connect but until then i really kind of like the mythos of the headliner i think it's really fun um sometimes not to name any names or anything um you'll you'll meet that person that you idolize and then for some reason it's a little tarnished afterwards they could be like the nicest person in the world but i I feel like once they're a human it kind of just like now i listen to their music a little differently yeah um and, you know, I don't have the talent of being mysterious, 
So uh, I don't know if anyone's ever going to... I hope no one feels like that with me. They should know me from my music and know me when they meet me that it's the same thing. Um, but people like Mavis Staples, who are from two different... Gener- uh, like a yeah. completely other generation than I am. Yeah. I kind of like her just being a rock god or a soul god or an R&B god or, or now an Americana god. You know, like that is... <laughs> It's great. I love it. And being in the same environment is comfortable for me. But going out of my way to really like poke people, uh, I try not to do because I can be really annoying really quickly. um, Sad little side note is, uh, you may have read this, but uh, Lucinda Williams Mm -hmm. was the last person to open for Petty. I know. Yeah. Yeah. She came back afterwards and said, hey, I've warmed up the crowd for you. And he said, I know you have. I love that. Yeah. Uh, Petty was a really big backer of Lucinda Williams. And yeah, um, (laughs) Lucinda Williams is hard to get. Like, once you get it, you're like, this is brilliant. Yeah. But the first time you hear it, you're like, she is wasted. You know? (laughs) Um, And then, like, there's people like me who hear it, and I'm like, she's wasted. And other people, like, my dad doesn't get Lucinda Williams. I love her. I love I mean, she... Um, She's true to who she is. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why it's good. Yeah. Um, and so when we got to play with Lucinda Williams, my favorite place to be is on the side stage. Um, and I love the fact that I'm lucky enough to get to watch. Like when I get to open a show for someone that I idolize, it's my favorite part is that it's not that I get to talk to them or that I get to shake their hand or I get to bother them while they're trying to eat um, you know, the catering or something. My, <laughs> my favorite part is being loud and not being kicked out by standing on the same stage and listening to their monitor mix while they're playing. I love it. That's my favorite place in the house. That's gotta be cool. And getting my check at the same time. Uh, <laughs> knock, knock, tap on your shoulder. Hey, look I got at to, this. I got to tour with the toadies and that was the first time they were playing, uh, what were they playing? They were uh, Tyler, you know, a song that you've heard billions and billions of times like you don't understand like what a hit is until you're 20 years older than what you were when you heard it the first time and then you've just opened for that person and they're singing it and then a manager comes up and they're like here's your hundred bucks and you're like (laughs) It's the greatest day of my life um you know um (laughs) <laughs> and you know, I was really the I'm I'm the the closest I've been to Chris Stapleton was at the City Tavern show, and there was like nobody there, and I didn't know who he was. My my friend Sam, he plays in Quaker City. Nighthawks was playing a show with him, and this was before this hubbub. I just knew that he was a writer from Nashville, and I went and I went and saw it, and I was there, and I had a few beers, and then I left. It was no big deal. And then like you know, a year later, he's. And Chris Staples, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, and you're like, shoot. oh my god. So, uh, you know, that's about as close as I got to him. Uh, I really love the Jayhawks. We played yeah, with the yeah. Jayhawks at the same festival that we played with Lucinda Williams, and um, that was one of my favorite people to meet and uh, my favorite band to meet. And I had a really great time doing that. Back in 2014, you had something really crazy happen. You got the flu. No, I got a virus that was supposed to be in your stomach that went into both of my eyes and it which is and you went blind right for a while yeah i was blind for about eight weeks and i would just come off of a 12-week tour 
And so I was really sick and my wife was sick too. And it's, you know, that screwed up a lot of things for, for us. It, it, um, kind of, it kind of, uh, it was terrible. Let's yeah. just go. I don't want to get gross or anything, but it was terrible. Absolutely. I couldn't sleep. Uh, it was hard. I, I mean, I couldn't go out. I was in quarantine in my bedroom. Essentially my wife and I were sleeping separately. There was no way to get it out. Uh, there was no medicine we could take. It was just a virus. It was alive in my eyes and it had to die in my eyes. And then I had to get past it. Um, and that was the catalyst. And during that time, my drummer from my punk band came in and said, I can't tour anymore, which is how you tell me that this band is breaking up because I'm a touring musician. It's one of my three homes. Right. Uh, right. If you can't tour, I got to find another drummer or I have to start over because it's a three piece and any three piece that loses one member is no longer the right, is no longer the same band. It's, right. yeah. it's too. Yeah. A two legged chair doesn't work real well. Exactly. So, um, once I started being able to see, I still couldn't go out cause I was still contagious. Um, that's when I started writing Americinda, the first record, and uh, that's what started the whole thing. Yeah, kind of a catalyst. Yeah. Um, music publisher, you pick State Fair Records. Why? Uh, music label, uh, imprint, not publisher. Uh, I'm waiting on my publishing. Um, I need to write more before I get into publishing. Okay. Um, takes Excuse a me. That's okay. Uh, as an imprint, I saw a lot of potential. Um, they had worked with uh, Madison King, who was a close friend of mine. And, you know, just like everything else in this band, it's been really organic. Um, a lot, going back to me being annoying really quickly, if people like kind of find out. Um, I'm, whereas I am a little bit hesitant about talking to somebody in my same field who is more successful than me, just so I don't get the dynamic of, you know, a guy going after talking to somebody just cause they want to be more successful. Um, when it comes to music business, I'm not shy at all. I will send you an email out of the blue just because I thought, why not? Um, and that's how a lot of my opportunities start happening. Absolutely. Um, and so State Fair was listening to Americinda. Americinda, I released only on Bandcamp, um, which is digital. Um, I didn't want to spend any money on it. All I wanted to do was create income. And people bought it. And we started it started getting around to people. And then they shared it on Twitter. And me being a dick, I, I commented on the Twitter. And I said, uh, put it out. And then they... Then we started talking and I met Trey at a, at a bar in Dallas and we just started talking and he realized that I had a plan and I had, uh, ambition and I had a good team behind me and I had everything. I had all the pieces to the puzzle that anybody's going to ask you because the first things people are going to ask you in this industry, a little industry trick for you, young musicians listening, uh, booking agent doesn't care about your music. He cares about your spreadsheet. He wants to see your spreadsheet. Like, quantify what you are and where you've been and what you got paid, and then a booking agent will listen to you. Same thing with a label. Um, a label wants to know that, do you have a ability to tour? Yep. Uh, do How many songs do you have? I got this one and another one. 
uh, or I have, I have this album and another full album in my back pocket. I had already written the native by the time state fair had gotten on board. And at first I didn't want state fair to touch the native because I didn't know what they were going to be like. You know, I don't know these people. And as I got to figure it out and learn that they're yeah. really good hearted people and they are willing to invest in young musicians, which is the same as finding somebody who will go gambling with you in Ch at Choctaw. Um, it's only a certain type of person that will do that. Um, I felt like it was the right place. Um, and I saw the same ambition out of State Fair. They were smaller and they wanted to get bigger. And that's what both of us want. So we started talking. We hit it off. Uh, they released uh, Americinda came out the day we were in the studio recording The Native. Ah. And then we left for a two-week tour Um in California right before the end of the touring season. Um, and we did one tour for Americinda and instantly we started working on the native. Um, and it's been a slingshot since then, but it's been great. And John Pedigo had talked about state fair records. He's my producer for the first two albums and I trust John. Yeah. So, um, I don't think I've ever met anyone as talented and as nice at the same time as John Pettigo. And he has a really good way of getting the best out of me. And he thought state fair was a good idea. And that's why he put Pettigo's magic Pilsner with it and all that stuff. And he's a really, really great dude. He's very talented. And I was following his lead at the time because he was, he took my songs from bedroom phone demos to an actual record without killing me and me going broke. Um, so I appreciated that kept following up with it how far is your van driven so far where all of you hit we did forty-eight thousand miles this or no eighteen thousand miles this year um so we did the east coast twice we did the west coast twice and the midwest once uh yeah it's been crazy yeah so that was a good six months of touring i miss it i wish i was still on tour right now but i'm writing a record so so where do you see Vandaliers? What, what do you see going on over the next 12 to 18 months? Where, where do you want to be 18 months from now? My goal is to go from being a bar band to a theater band. Okay. You know? Um, and when you do that, as my current producer has told me, there are certain musical crutches that you can't fall on if you want to go to the next step. So I'm rearranging some of my habits and changing them with better habits and, um, you know, musically. Uh, and that's been a really big thing for me. And I feel like I'm even in the month that I've been writing, um, for this next record, I feel like my songs are growing. Um, they're personal and also I kind of allowed myself to write about other people instead of just my experiences, which has been really great and watching those characters form in my songs. And it's been really, really cool. And I feel like our next step is to make a great album, uh, write the best songs possible and uh, not lose momentum from the native and keep it going. Well, your energy and your momentum is great, and I think you're going to kick ass. So. Thank you. Thank you I wish much. you the best. You got Thank any, you very much. You got any closing comments? Uh, we're playing the Kessler November 17th. Uh, tomorrow, I don't know when this is going to be released. I'll be 
Three weeks from now. Three weeks, three, from, three, now. Three weeks from now. Okay. November 17th, I'll be playing at the Kessler. Uh, New Year's Eve, we'll be playing with Jonathan Tyler, Nikki Lane, Texas Gentleman, uh, Paul Cawthon. Uh, wow. Where, uh, where's that going to be? At the Granada Theater. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So that'll be, I think we're opening the show for that, and it's going to be a really great night. And I've known Jonathan Tyler since I was like 16, like, you know, by proxy. And then lately we've kind of been hanging out with the same people. So it'd be really cool to like hang out with him, uh, that night and play with him. He's so talented and he's a great songwriter and I am a giant Nikki Lane fan. So I'm that, that I'm not going to talk to her, but I'm really stoked about seeing her from side stage. But you're, you're going to stand side stage but I get to see and you're going to tell somebody to deliver your check. And when then I get my check. <laughs> that's how I do it. And hopefully she'll be playing, uh, 700,000 Rednecks, because I love that song. I think it's brilliant. I love it. All right, Josh, this has been great, man. Yeah, thank you so much. We'll see you again soon. Anytime. Yeah. Bye. Since this interview, I've seen Josh Fleming twice. Once at the Kessler, right in the middle of November, they, play, they did a coming home concert for their fans, and it rocked. They put everything on the line. They really worked hard, and uh, everybody loved it. In fact, uh, most of the fans stayed well after the concert ended, and the band was there to help greet and chat with them. It was a very wonderful evening. <clears throat> I also saw Josh and Travis, the fiddle player, last week at, the, at Poor David's Pub for the holiday party for State Fair Records. And Travis and, and Josh were testing out some new songs, songs for the next album that they're going into the studio probably in January, February is my impression. And I can tell you, they've got some good stuff coming down the road. Also at the State Fair Holiday Party was a number of other excellent artists. Kendall Brown was there, showing off with his bright red shirt and his wonderful bass playing. Bree and the Fellas, I had not heard Bree before. Wonderful voice. Just, uh, I would call call her very jazz-oriented, and uh, people supporting her were just, I mean, it was just uh, three wonderful artists up there. Also, the Charming Gardeners. Amy and Mark were there putting on a good show. They're in, you know, they're in studio. They've got some songs already laid down with State Fair, and they've got others they're working on. So I look forward to that, al- that album coming out. And the surprise of the evening was Christy Krueger. She's been around for quite a while, kind of stepped back for a little bit, and she is coming back on the market. And I, her song the Carp- for the Carpenter was just, it just hit me right in the chest. It was just wonderful. So keep, keep your eyes open for Christy Krueger. I think you're going to be seeing more of her. She's coming back strong. And as uh, Josh mentioned in the interview, they have got a New Year's Eve show. They're opening for Jonathan Tyler and Friends. Also that evening, we'll be, the, we'll be playing the Texas Gentleman. Next week, we'll be interviewing Jim Newton and Larry Dykstra. This is the holiday season. These two fellas p- pull their guitars out and go into hospitals and play music for kids. And as we all know, the hospital is typically not a place where you want to be, and especially not for a young child. And these guys go in and they assess situations and they pick out songs to lift spirits, to maybe help get a, get a young child through a tough day or a tough moment, or just to help them get a break in the day. It's a wonderful interview. Uh, dial in. Check us out. I think you'll enjoy it a great deal. Have a good day. And until next time, adios. Adios.